1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 166 of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Your Star Wars Discussion Podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on your own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Hurlman. And with me, like the idea that good art, weak plots, and a lack of continuity make a great story, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. You mean they don't? But
0: they hyped it so much.
1: Apparently hype makes... Or hype makes right
0: there you go hype makes right <laughs> well we learned that with the phantom menace didn't oh wait <laughs> uh, i tell you speaking of movies though a uh, lot of fun being had here recently uh, for those who follow the youtube channel uh, youtube.com slash it's actually slash chrono radio my original podcast title c-h-r-o-n-o like chronology r-a-d-i-o is one word put out some new episodes of From the Star Wars Home Video Library recently because I've been picking up stuff like that huge UK ISD Executor Definitive Collection VHS set, which is freaking awesome. I just, you know, can't it looks watch impressive. it because
1: it's pal. <laughs> You're like, I want to know the secrets. I'll just caress the packaging. It's so pretty. It's so very pretty. But it is pretty.
0: And it's it's like made out of tin or something. But no, I'm I'm flabbergasted here at just how the U.S. got completely screwed when it came to the new stuff uh, at the time. And we just kind of got a bare-bones widescreen set, and the U.K. got this incredible, incredible item there. But, uh, but I don't know, That's that has helped see me through the dark times of us rounding out this particular series of reviews that otherwise might have caused me to bang my head against the wall enough that either a hole was produced in the wall... Or a crack was produced in my head.
1: (laughs) Look at that, Nathan's head's being used as a basketball for the Harlem Globetrotters. At Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we lay to rest Brian Wood's Star Wars Volume 2, with issues 19 and 20, as collected in Trade Paperback Volume 4, A Shattered Hope. Hey, that does sound like a fitting title overall. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you our quick Spoiler-free rundown, just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. Oh, I'm so glad
0: we've come to the end of this series. Uh, We'll talk about our overall final thoughts of Brian Wood's run of Star Wars Volume 2 when we get to the end of this episode, but it really goes out with a whimper instead of a bang. What we've got here is two issues that presumably are a story entitled A Shattered Hope Parts 1 and 2, because they always name the trade paperback after at least one of the story arcs inside it when it comes to this series in most of Dark Horse's run, though not necessarily all for the full run. And these are the two issues that were collected with Five Days of Sith into Volume 4, which, as you may recall, puts them somewhat out of order. It's actually Five Days of Sith, then Rebel Girl, which got its own trade paperback, and then these. Um, But they're it, and it really sort of feels like I'm assuming they were just sort of cramming things in to try to get this story finished within just two issues when they realized they didn't have much time left. But it doesn't really give any kind of satisfactory conclusion. I recall around the time that the announcement was made that Dark Horse was losing the license, there was a big scramble of, "Uh uh-oh, what's going to happen with these series? When are they going to end? Are they going to get any real resolution? A big deal was made about how Karina Bechko said that yes – you were going to see a sort of resolution in a lot of ways to what was coming with Star Wars Legacy Volume 2. No such comments were ever made about Brian Wood's Star Wars Volume 2. And it seems like that difference is pretty plain here. There's nothing about this that makes it feel like the end of a series. If anything, the end of Rebel Girl felt much more like it and had that little the end type thing at the end um, that this one just didn't do. It is a relatively generic story. It's, oh, look, here's an old friend from Leia's past, and because she's lost Alderaan, she needs to make sure she finds her friends and saves them type of story, which it feels like we've seen a million times before, although it's only really been a handful, but it's a very generic premise. And it's just a quick go try to find her and save her before IG-88 can get him. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, just... The only thing to make it a sweeter deal is, oh, but she's also got some information that might help them find a base like, say, Hoth, because she's got these Imperial Survey records that she has managed to get her hands on. It's... Generic is the best way I can put it. All the characters aside from... Well, I was going say the, all the characters aside from the film characters. The two characters, aside from the film characters that we get here, feel very generic. Um, the art is really quite good as Carlos to Anda again, with the exception of giving people sort of giraffe necks every once in a while. Um, but there's just nothing really to write home about with the story. And it undermines itself in a couple of cases in terms of what I think we as an audience would expect, not even necessarily undermining itself in terms of continuity because continuity wise, this is a pretty inoffensive story. Uh, it doesn't wind up butting up against much of anything. The rebels you know, are looking for a new base Here's yet more information to help them try to find a new base that will eventually land them on Hoth like we see in classic Star Wars and whatnot. Um, In that sense, that's the only real touch on any kind of previous continuity that exists in this. It doesn't butt up against anything. It doesn't tie into anything. It's just kind of there, which makes it safe. But that means you have to take the story on its own merits. You can't take it based on context. And on its own merits, there are a lot of holes in this story, uh, possibly because they tried to cram it into two issues but maybe not. Maybe this is simply how it was written. If anything, it finally, I think, continues to put that nail in the coffin of this idea that Brian Wood was supposed to be this new hope for Star Wars comics, and it was supposed to be such a huge freaking deal when he was going to write this new series that they put out, all these different variant covers and everything. Brian Wood's coming to Star Wars! Yes! I've never read anything else that Brian Wood has written. But if he writes like this all the time, like he did in this series, I have no idea how this guy became a big-name comic writer. Absolutely none at all. Um, suffice to say, it's going to be another of these instances where I think for the most part we're kind of down, so to speak, on this arc. Try to try to point out the positive parts as we go along, along with the critiques, but this was just not a series that ran well or, it turns out, ended well
1: either. Yeah, as with anything you're going to get in Legends, the reactions are going to be mixed. And in this case, we're pretty much on the same page that it's more of the darker side of what Dark Horse had to offer. Uh, You know, it, it does round out like Rebellion and Invasion when it comes to its satisfactory conclusions. There just weren't any. It's one of those that leave you scratching your head. I mean... I've said uh, recently, you know, I'm I'm reading certain Marvel stories, and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is one where, you know, I'm just cruising along, and suddenly the the story goes from an issue like 23 into 24, and we're we're like missing what seems to be like seven issues of a story. We're like, wait, what's going on? And this has that kind of feel. I mean, it, it's it's not only in the aspect of you know you're following it from singles, which is what we were doing while we're recording these. That's how I collected it as well. But then how it's collected in the trades has that whole weird, okay, we're going to put them out of order. But then even when you're reading them, there's just no sense of an actual conclusion here whatsoever. It feels like this is a, a series that was neutered midway through. Uh, and when you think about the hype and, and the, the way that they were advertising it, you know, how you mentioned, you know, it seemed to be like this whole Brian Wood. He's going to be a new hope for Star Wars and, you know, the continuity be damned and this, that and the other thing. The way they went about marketing, I don't think helped at all. I, I, I think it, it blew up, uh, you know, people's expectations for this series, and it just it just missed the mark on so many levels. Uh, you know, the art, I'm actually more of a fan of most of the art, although, you know, as we go through here, some of the characters, like Han and Luke especially, they really look more like uh, Tycho, Klishu, and Wedge, Antilles Or you see Luke and Han hanging out with Leia. And it's it just one of those things where it's not that major. It is a little jarring at times, and it does kind of make you wonder what was going on overall, though. That that this just is so fragmented. I mean, I, I there's so many plots as we get into this that that just I don't know. that was like illusions, like there was supposed to be another issue coming. I mean, there's statements that Leia says to the agent, uh, you know, about Mon Mothma, where you're like, oh, okay, you know, because there's this, there's this overall question of you know, hey, you've been you've been out there. You know, a, a, a double agent for too long. Like people are gonna question. You know, why have you been out there? And you know, they may not trust you when you come in. You may get grilled a little more than normal. And 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 it, it, it was this illusion. Like there was this whole side plot to that, and it, we're gonna explore more of the background between the agent and Leia and their past and and their time on Alderaan. And and there were all these promises of things that that Star Wars Volume Two as a series had kind of been leading up to, and yet it it like that Guardians of the Galaxy it peters out like a fart in the wind and you're like wait where the hell's the rest of the story at and and that's something that like you know I mean from a Marvel standpoint absolutely drives me nuts I mean they're really crappy at that kind of of letting the fans know what's going on another example is I'm reading a Fantastic Four that's up to issue number 14 and then the next issue is Fantastic Four 642 I was like I saw 642 in my box. I put it back. I didn't realize it was part of that damn story. Then, of course, 643 shows up in my box, and I figure it out. I'm like, oh, well, nobody put this in any advertising anywhere. And so I worry about, you know, Marvel now having the ball. But this is Dark Horse still. I mean, Dark Horse did this at the end of their watch. And that, I think, is the part about all of this that that leaves me with that taste of unacceptable. It's like, you know, we've already gone through those fumbles with Dark Horse. To do this in the last... This is like watching the last Super Bowl all over again.
0: I'm not even sure I would say it felt like there was more to the story that needed to keep going for this arc. I, I do agree with the neutered feeling. It felt like, and maybe this is complete, I mean, this is all speculation on our part and everything. But I wonder if what we were getting with these arcs so far from Brian Wood was that he was seeding things. Like the whole thing with Kel Bircher. Birch was never seen again after they revealed that he was a rebel spy in the Imperial ranks. It just motivates others later. Beresia, never seen again after her last brief appearance, only to be told, sort of in an aside, oh, by the way, her body was found, she's dead. Insignanda, uh, probably the most daring character Brian Wood created, the only real interesting character that Brian Wood created for this series. Um, we get to see her in Five Days of Sith. We haven't seen her since. And now here's Saren Song being introduced into the mix here. I'm wondering if a lot of this was, hey, let's have these storylines, introduce these characters, and then later we'll bring them together or bring them back, and it'll have more impact. Kind of like what they tried to do with the Ahakista Gambit, where, hey, here's these different characters from Tales and from Empire and all this, and now we're going to bring these characters back and give them a mission together, and all of a sudden you're going to care – Because these aren't just random characters thrown together, you've got the background on them. They were seeded earlier, now they're bearing fruit later. But he never got a chance to. We can't really base the way we look at this series on that, because it's all speculation. We have to base it on what we got. And here, I don't know if it's a truncated story or what, it just, to me, it felt very, very, very generic. It was just a quick, short little – you made a comment about how something sort of disappears like a fart in the wind. This, If this was a fart, it was silent but deadly. Mm-hmm. It made no impact whatsoever. Nobody turned their head and said, ooh, woo, hoo, 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 smell that. Or in this case, look at that story. Even the covers are effing generic. The covers have nothing to do with the story. The covers are like, oh, hey, we've got this other artwork sitting around for these stories that could have been just one-sheet art Crap, what are we going to do with it? We don't want to pay somebody to do new art. If we got this other art sitting here, we're just going to slap them onto the last two issues of this series and slap a couple of taglines, also generic, onto the issues that don't really wind up fitting what's inside it. Everything about these last two screams, let's be as generic as possible. And that is no way for the series and for Dark Horse's run to go out. And like I said... Unless there is some measure of brilliance where this was seeding stuff for the future, it really blows my mind that they made such a big deal about Brian Wood writing for Star Wars. Because it does not seem – I mean, we know he didn't really have a grasp for continuity in many respects, but part of that apparently is that he was told he could ignore the newspaper strips where a lot of this era's stories come from. But it seems like he really didn't have a grasp on Star Wars storytelling – Uh, But we've said before that it seems like this type of story may have worked better, the the story of Star Wars Volume 2, may have worked better if it was the beginning of a reboot. I think we're going to be able to forgive Marvel for a while for things that seem familiar when they happen because it's a new continuity. It's a ground floor. So yeah, we may have seen such and such happen before, but we haven't seen it in canon, in the truth with a capital T. Whereas if you have just one more version of something from Legends that's constantly happening, it feels old, it feels generic, it feels repetitive and kind of pointless. This could have been really cool. be like, whoa, this is the first person from Leia's past that we've met in the new canon. But it's not. It's the end of the old, in a sense. It's still Legends. So it feels like just run-of-the-mill stuff. It doesn't get that sort of forgiveness that if this type of story was told by Marvel today without the encumbrance of the Legends continuity in the new canon, we'd probably give it a pass. It's still got its issues, it will point out. But Mm. the generic feel, I think, would have been a little less pronounced.
1: I think in that regard, I would definitely be banking on there being more to the story. I mean, if this was the new canon... And, and if they ended the series right here, I, I, w- I think I'd be in the same like this is crap boat kind of scenario. But if it being new canon, I would expect more stories to build off that. And I think that's one of the things that I really have a hard time with is like, you know, you introduce characters like that we have in this story. You create a situation where you can't really quite trust this character. And when this character is brought back into the fold, this character is going to have to go through a trial of a sense to prove their loyalty. But we're just never going to get there because as far as it goes, is just Leia getting the information. The, the whole aspect of this agent getting back to the Rebellion, to the Alliance, and having to deal with all that, completely never even get there. So, I mean, at least if this was a new canon, like, I'd have that to look forward to and where we're going to go from here. Uh, but that's missing, and I think that that definitely leaves a sour taste in the mouth. We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go, on another adventure beyond the films.
0: So the Rebels are still kind of hurting from what happened on Arachar back in Rebel Girl, and we find that... There's a rebel agent named Saren Song of Dantooine, of course has to be from a planet mentioned in the films, right? Who is on the run at this point from a bounty hunter on Lotho Minor, right? The same junk planet that we saw when Darth Maul, Spider Maul, was found by Savage Opress back in the Clone Wars. So at least a nice tie there, you know, for those who don't despise the fact that a tie could exist with the Clone Wars, a nice tie between the continuity from the comics and whatnot in the Legends continuity, back into the Clone Wars that is still part of Legends while also being canon. We find very quickly that the bounty hunter that is tracking her is IG-88.
1: Do we ever get a reason why he's
0: actually following her, though? No, I was assuming that it's because of the information that she has. He's just hunting her for the Empire or something. But yeah, we never get... Any kind of reason whatsoever as to why ig is after her. Yet another of these plot holes that we're going to see throughout this. She manages to get herself back to her Y-Wing that she has stashed away. And in the Y-Wing is her only friend, confidant, and person she can talk to, or being she can talk to. Personality she can talk to. Um, I keep trying to narrow it down because it's not really a person. Wilson! Right, her volleyball companion. Uh, The astromech R400, known throughout the rest of the story simply as R4. And she needs to get back to the Rebel Alliance. Problem is, she's been gone for a while. Uh, She had a mission. She wound up basically finding out that there's this uh, navigational and uh, survey information that she could get her hands on. And in trying to get it, she stayed behind enemy lines, so to speak, longer than expected. She hasn't checked in. So now she's got to find a way to get back in and she basically initiates a tracking or an extraction code and gets no response whatsoever to get her out of there. Agent double black to agent command extraction code one, one, one. Yeah. Very complex code coordinates to follow. And it does nothing. She waits a matter of seconds, maybe minutes. And it's like, Oh, well, screw it. Or in her words, Oh, what the hell? And sends out an open message, unencrypted, through the holonet, that's basically, Leia, it's Saren, can you come and get me? I need help. And, of course, the rebels hear about it, Leia is basically given, well, they never really clarify whether she's really given
1: permission to go,
0: or if it's more of a, well, Mon Moth has got other things to deal with on her mind, so she's just going to kind of do it off to the side.
1: She says Mon has given her permission once, but she does allude that the permission may not be official permission.
0: Yeah, it's it's sort of like, a, you know, Mon Mothma was busy doing something else, and I came in and said, you know, can I go on a rescue mission? She said, yeah, 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 kind of like if I walked in and said, can I light my hair on fire? Yeah, yeah, that's nice, honey. You know, that kind of thing. So she basically is going to go on this rescue mission. She calls in Luke and Han because... They're not really willing to send out a rebel ship to go and hunt down Saren. But they're totally willing to let Han, who's sort of unofficially part of the alliance with the Millennium Falcon, go and do it. And he's okay with that only because it allows all the repairs to the Millennium Falcon after Arachar to get done, which have been put on the back burner while the rebels were using their spare parts and whatnot on their own official ships. So we get them taking off to go try to find her. We jump back to Saren, who's still kind of hanging out in the Y-Wing on Lotho Minor, hasn't heard back from Leia yet. So, she takes off, and we get this cool moment of the Y-Wing coming out of the junk, and the junk falling all around it and whatnot, and she takes off into space, only for IG-88 to have been waiting for her, because she can't outweight a droid, and he fires a tracking device that connects to the ship and apparently feeds on its power source, uh, so that she can track it later. And IG-88 is able to give chase. By the time that Luke and Leia and Han and Chewbacca aboard the Millennium Falcon arrive over Lotho Minor, IG-88 is already back up into space in his ship, the IG-2000, and is able to basically attack the Millennium Falcon when it turns out that Saren and her Y-Wing have already left. So we get a brief, very brief encounter in space between the Falcon and the IG-2000, we find Saren taking off and deciding that she's going to basically send out a new message to Leia that is coded, in a sense, using an old story that they wrote together sort of in a strange language they made up as kids, so that it's something that only Leia could read. And she realized that she has to get back. She's given her all for this mission. She's missed so many birthdays. Um, her little sister may think that she's just been abandoned and whatnot, but... Uh, You know what could she possibly do? But she realizes there's just there was just too much at stake. She has to get back to the rebels with this information. And again, we get another good scene between Luke and Leia talking about how basically, you know, just Leia is trying to get her old friend back. You know, trying to assume the best because she's been gone so long. She's going to be in for a pretty heavy debriefing when she gets back because the automatic assumption is going to be that she can't be trusted, that there's a reason why she didn't communicate. Maybe she was turned, maybe she was captured, et cetera, et cetera. Um, sort of setting up this mystery of who is she really, what was she really doing that never really gets resolved. That's mm-hmm. the bulk of the first issue. I've got some comments to make on it as we go along, but let's toss it over to Mark. You know, notice usually we're stopping at points throughout different issues in a in a story arc to discuss as we go along there just isn't a lot to get into here so we didn't really break it up much yeah uh, pick it up mark
1: well i mean some of the things that, that leap out to me okay when they're having the conversation when leia's talking with wedge and tiger Ty- i'm sorry with han and luke uh there's that moment where you know she's talking about the, her being an agent and luke goes she's working for the rebellion and leia goes I only just found that out. And that okay, so Leia didn't know this girl was in the rebellion, but this girl knew that Leia was in the rebellion. So I'm like, okay, granted at this point like, you know, the Death Star just blew up and while Vader was all like, you know, hey, are you part of the rebellion and didn't quite seem to know but had a, had a kind of leaning towards, it seems like it's like common open knowledge that Leia must be in the rebellion. So there's that question of like, wait, how How did she even know? I mean, how deep was she in? How did she know that Leia was in this position? Like all that kind of stuff kind of screams like double agent. And so, you know, I'm I'm kind of wondering about that. And then the fact that immediately she jumps her Y-Wing to light speed and jumps off into hyperspace. I'm like, wait, you just called for extraction and then bailed from the place. And then not only bailed from it, then you leapt away from the planets. Like what the where is that in the Rebel handbook, man? I'm pretty sure it's not in the handbook. I think somebody's going to be kicking your ass. couple things that stand out to me in this one.
0: Um, and I'll get into my thoughts on IG-88 when we get to the next issue because there's something about IG-88 that's driving me nuts. Uh, I am glad to see the IG-2000 in here, if only to have reminded me of which direction is the front of that ship. For some reason, I always get confused <laughs> and I think that the back is the front and the front is the back, like the prongs are the back instead of the front. Uh, they just put it out as part of the newest wave, I think it's wave six of the X-Wing miniatures. And I remember putting that miniature on there, and it took me a while to get it plugged into the stand, because I was like, what the hell? I was trying to put it on backwards. Um, because I didn't realize which one was the front again. Um, uh, I don't know. The, the fact here is, Leia is all gung-ho about trying to save her. And we get this bit, you know, near the end about how, uh, uh, you know, We have to assume the best about her. Yes, a hero's welcome. At the very least, I'll walk her under the bridge of home one myself hand in hand like when we were children running around the Senate dais. And we get some talk in the next about how she doesn't want a childhood friend um, to be abandoned out there because how many times will she have to reconnect with those type of childhood friends, especially after Alderaan and so forth. And when she's introduced in the briefing, which is being talked about for the first time in the briefing, Saren is described by Leia when she says, We played together as children. Her parents were the Dantooine delegates to the Imperial Senate. They were friends with my father, but I haven't seen her in at least a decade. And it goes on from there. But see, here's the thing. It seems like we're supposed to get this big emotional push of this story of, this is one of Leia's old close friends, almost like winter. They've got to save her, you know, because it matters Mm -hmm. so much to Leia because this is someone who is Leia's friend. The only reason we're really given to give a crap about Saren is the connection to Leia. And then they completely and utterly undermine it in this issue. Uh, Are you and Saren really that close? Asks Luke, like us, because they're really playing up this connection with Leia, and we're thinking, wow, this is a close friend we just never heard of. But then Leia answers, we're not close at all. Playing together as kids is one thing, but once we were both into our teens, the pressures of family pushed us in different directions. I was a senator's daughter and a princess of Alderaan. Saren's song was destined for military service. We check in over the holonet once a year? So no, not close. I'm just tired, Luke. Tired of losing people. They just completely cut the legs out of any emotional connection we're supposed to have for Saren, thanks to being a friend of Leia. They haven't given us an emotional connection to (laughs) her as a character in and of herself yet. And now they're coming in and saying, yeah, it's yet another of these, you know, here's an old acquaintance of Leia's stories, and usually that either means that they're going to be someone that they got to go find, or they're going to betray Leia at some point, one or the other. Uh, and here, the the only real twist to it is, yeah, it's an old friend of Leia's, but not a good friend that we're focusing all this effort on, etc., etc. It feels like it undermines some of the emotional current there. Did you get that sense?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I kept thinking like, oh, this is this is Tank Subner all over again. Like, you know, you, oh, you weren't friends and she was destined for the military. Hmm. Military. They're kind of straight lacing by the books. You know, your drug free group that, hey, uh, you a uh, little pot smoker lay over there, you little rebel hippie. You better toe the line. Like I, I could I could see that totally backfiring that that's where I kept feeling like there was there might have been something more to the story because there was this illusion that she might have been a double agent or a triple agent or whatever. and you know and then when we jump into issue two it it, it seems like there's been a chunk of time that's passed too that's like okay was this a bigger story that they were like okay we we're out of time we have six issues here but we're only going to be able to put it all into two you know and, and it's that director's cut moment where you know it's not until you see the director's cut of a movie that you realize all this good stuff was dropped on the ground and just left behind and i'm like I had this feeling like there's more to this story here, but it's just not there. And yeah, that little undermining, was it meant to make us doubt the agent? Because it worked. I definitely was expecting some kind of fallout there, but we never get it. And we've got this ending here where Luke is talking
0: to her about what's going on, talking to Leia about what's going on, right after that whole hand-in-hand, like we were running around the Senate dais. And Luke says, we'll find her. We'll bring her back, and maybe in doing so we can heal some of the pain caused by the deaths of so many others. Leia, are you okay? Not even remotely, but ask me again after we have Saren safely back at the fleet. So, saving the life of someone that Leia at best could call a childhood friend or an acquaintance who she hasn't talked to in over a decade, who she really wasn't all that close to, at least not you know in a a decade or more, that is supposed to be a bomb on the deaths of all these others, which, of course, is a running theme that they've used throughout Brian Wood's series. It's it's the deaths from Alderaan. It's the death of the other pilots from the Death Star and the death of Ben and how everybody's just wallowing in their emotions over the death of others when it's appropriate to the story. Otherwise, it seems like they're not affected by it at all. And apparently saving this one life is supposed to somehow heal those wounds. Um... It's the one thing about this story that makes it feel as though it's connected to the rest of this series. Like, the only through line that makes its way into this story is that one. The emotional loss of all these people recently driving the desire to save Saren. And in that sense, there is a continuity to it. In that sense, it sort of works. But again, they've cut their own legs out from under them by removing a lot of that connection to Leia. If this was someone really, really close to Leia that she could save, that might be a big uplifting thing. But this is like if all of a sudden World War III breaks out, Atlanta is mostly blown up or turned into the freaking walking dead. And as I'm trying to escape, I bump into somebody that I knew from kindergarten. That's not really going to make a big bulk of difference as opposed to if it was somebody that... I knew recently spent a lot of time in high school with formative years with and that sort of thing. You know, to, to me, the the undercutting is something that affects what I think was their message over the point of the story, which was that whole redeeming uh, a sense of hope from having it shattered, so to speak.
1: Well, because it's definitely not. Well, she's just from Alderaan and we want to save things from Alderaan, because if that was the case, Leia would have gone out of her way to try to save Rogarion.
0: She's not even from Alderaan. The one thing I will say for this issue, uh, aside from the long necks, the art, of course, is Carlos de Anda, which is usually very, very good. Um, And I do like the fact that when we get the space battle between the Millennium Falcon and the IG-2000, we see a visual representation of the deflector shields falling. You've got uh, one of the mandibles, whatever you call them, on the Millennium Falcon, and you see green blasts hitting it, and there's like this... That weird sheen of energy over it that's supposed to be the deflector shield and when the deflector shield finally falls it's like that energy barrier just kind of snaps like uh, like a, uh, a rubber band that's pulled too far and you see the blast coming through. I thought that was a really cool thing and I'm surprised that we really haven't seen much in the way of trying to do visual representations of technology like that. That was a very nicely done couple of panels.
1: That was, yeah, well, that's what deflectors do, Chewie. They fail. I, and, you know, it's classic, too, because the Falcon always did seem to have that moment of, oh, no, we're being chased by a bounty hunter, and something's failing on the Falcon.
0: I will also say from a continuity standpoint, though, something that causes me to smack myself upside the head, um, we have Leia flirting at times with Han here, but in that whole adversarial sort of way here, and we have a, how furious is Han over the damage to the Falcon, It's asking Luke. Not as furious as he wants to be, since he knows you were the one that got it spaceworthy again in the first place. For all his comments to me, Leia continues, there's really only room for one in his heart. This ship. Oh, come now, Luke says. You'll hurt Chewie's feelings talking like that. Oh, stop, (laughs) she says. And it's one of these things, there's moments of closeness between Luke and Leia here, but it's very much a brother and sisterly closeness. The only person who seems like he's got any type of romantic interest in Leia at all here is Han, and they get a chance to play that up at the end of the next issue, and early on, uh, you have Han talking about how Her- Royal Highness and I haven't been getting along too well since Arachar. Apparently, I'm insensitive. And they're playing that up well, and it fits perfectly with what we're going to see building up with Han and Leia to eventually get to the Empire Strikes Back. Problem is... Where the hell is the petulant, pissed off, acting like a freaking teenager, (laughs) wussy, I can't have names and nobody can, I'm going to go pout and leave the Alliance, a-hole Luke, that we just saw in the last four issues? Why is he all of a sudden okay with the flirting with Han, does not feel any type of loss in that, acts like a brother, and is okay with, for instance, just being a shoulder to quasi-cry on at the end of the first issue without there ever being any type of romantic subplot or mention Of Luke's feelings towards Leia in that sense. Did what happened last time just break him of having any interest in her anymore because she was going to marry somebody else? It is completely inconsistent with the character of Luke in the last four issues or the previous trade paperback, depending on how you're reading it.
1: Well, and and last we saw with Luke, he was in trouble. With the Rebel Command. I mean, he'd all been demoted. I mean, th- you would think that there would be like some kind of chastising remark there, or even Luke going, Well, I just barely got off her sh- list.
0: So we get to issue number 20, the final issue of the series, though you wouldn't know it by reading it. It just kind of ends here. And we start with, as you were saying, Mark, kind of it almost feels like a jump ahead because they're needing to repair the Falcon after the damage from a, being attacked by IG 88. So they're needing to fix it amid some ice-type asteroid comet trail things. Um, uh, Maybe they're getting stuff for coolant because they talk about um, they can go to Lightspeed without boiling the fluidics, and it looks like they're basically just taking a canister out and filling it with ice or something. It's, It's never really clear what they're doing.
1: Yeah, Uh, that was odd, because that was what I was thinking, too. I'm like, wait, so they filled this with ice and then shoved it in, like, a backpack into the Falcon? Like, how does that work?
0: (laughs) Yeah, not quite sure what they're doing. They have some good banter. It's Han and Leia out there in spacesuits. And Leia says, uh, Would you rather I went back inside and you get Luke or Chewie to help you? Oh, right. Your only functioning spare pressure suit is a woman's size small. I'm trying not to think about who it used to belong to. Um... Again, the banter between Han and Leia is done really, really well here. That connection between the two and the good-natured ribbing that sometimes moves into almost like a bitterness because of the attraction between them that they're not willing to act upon at this point uh, is one of the highlights of the way that Brian Wood writes these characters. One of the instances in which he's got a consistent streak between his writing and the films as opposed to Luke, who really was inconsistent all over the place. Suffice to say... Uh, They're taking off into space. There is is a funny moment, I guess, before they they head off. (laughs) They go back inside the Falcon and are changing out of their pressure suits. And it sure looks like Han and Leia are basically stripping down in the same room. I know they're only supposed to be removing their pressure suits, but to me it sure looks like... I mean, does it not look like Leia is not stripping off the pressure suit pants because the colors and stuff are wrong? It almost looks like she's just taking off her pants in front of Han and she's got her skivvies underneath.
1: I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I was afraid you were going to jump over to that. And I wanted to comment on that because, yes, it totally does. Like, she's got an undershirt on that is not what you see when she's fully dressed. That's like an undershirt that she zipped underneath a jacket that's underneath a bigger jacket. Uh, but it definitely looks like she's pulling spacesuit pants down. So it looks like she was wearing basically her underwear inside of it. Uh, I'm assuming that the shirt's supposed to be a functional space sports bra. And she was in there in her sports bra and panties, which also adds to that. I don't want to know who was in here before. But yeah, I mean, here they are in a room together having the uh, Kirk and the doctor scene in Star Trek 2.
0: I was thinking more of the Kirk and what's-her-name scene from Star Trek Into Darkness. Turn around.
1: Yeah, uh, that's what I meant.
0: I don't know, I, I think that'd be a funny panel to grab and use Photoshop to remove the dialogue and start inserting alternate dialogue. Uh,
1: oh, boy. So, hey, hashtag uh, caption this.
0: So they take off, um, and they've, they're again, they're trying to find Saren, and they've received that signal, again, unencrypted over the holonet, that is from that old story that she and Saren wrote together, that uses code, and that allows her to give coordinates to Han, who can give them to Chewie, since he's the captain and all, to take them to the next place where they're going to find Saren. Turns out that Saren is basically with a convoy where she's sort of hiding in its sensor shadow uh, on the Corellian shipping lanes. Only, of course, she's got that tracker on her, or on the ship, on her Y-Wing, so IG-88 is coming in to take her out anyway. and thankfully. She is able to leap to hyperspace. The problem is that when she leaps to hyperspace, she still doesn't realize that there is a, you know, and the power drain that that her droid is sensing is a tracking device. So IG-88 is able to just continue to follow. And maybe this is a good time to talk some IG-88 because in this introductory segment, we have IG-88's dialogue here while he's aboard IG-2000. Uh, to go along with, in the previous issue, um, his last line of dialogue before he gets back aboard his ship is, I wonder what I should spend my bounty credits on. And here we've got homing device signal, strong and constant. Almost too easy. But that's humans for you. Stupid and profitable. Two bounties. Seren Song for the Imperials and Han Solo for the Huts. I'll be rich. I'm going to get myself replated in high-density Frick. Hold on. Her communications array just powered up showtime this is ig88 ig88 is a droid i keep as i'm reading this anytime we see ig88 talking i'm thinking why is he talking to himself shut the fuck up you're a <laughs> droid one of the things that made ig88 so awesome back in for instance the tales from the bounty hunter book is he is quiet he is silent and calculating cuz he's a droid Why does a droid need to f***ing talk to himself and do it in such an inane manner? Brian Wood completely undercuts IG-88 as a villain here by making him basically a mustache-twirling, talking-to-himself idiot when he's supposed to be a killer-assassin droid.
1: Why the f*** is he talking to himself? (laughs) Well, and, and, and I'm going to jump us ahead head to stick to that because it adds to another question that the talking to himself raises. Like, was this another one of those pot points that was dropped? Because later he's looking over her ship and decides to shoot the Aston on the back. And he goes, too late, human. Tragically so. I'll drive that ugly ship to the surface and collect my prize. And he's climbing outside of the ship. But first. And he grabs the gun and he's sighting down. I hate seeing a fellow droid working at cross-purposes, even an astromech. And then he shoots the droid, and I'm like, what cross-purposes? What the hell are you talking about?
0: Well, you know, he's trying to kill her, and R4's trying to help her. That's cross-purposes. It's like they're—I don't know. It's like Brian Wood realizes that he's got a droid here, and he wants to give some personality to it, so it's not just a quiet droid hunting her down as a silent menace, a phantom menace, so to speak. And decides to give him some personality in some of the worst possible ways. Um, maybe narration could have been done. Make it so it seems like what's happening here is the droid is thinking or processing things. It's the droid's mm. perception. Instead, he's talking out loud. I, I don't know. It just, the handling well, of IG88 me? was idiotic here. Give me any other bounty hunter that's not IG88. And it would have possibly made sense for them to be mumbling to themselves and this sort of thing. But I this is not the IG-88
1: that I don't – not A, B, C,
0: or D. This is (laughs) – IG-80 talks too much.
1: Well, and and that's where I wondered was there a side plot to this. I mean was IG-88 – basically sent there to flush her out, make it look like she's being chased. You know, just just stay on the trail. Just, you know, keep within eyesight. Keep making it look like you're shooting, but shoot at her ankles, you know, get the rebellion. They're gonna come and pick her up and then you need to follow her back. I at this point I'm still wondering if she's the double agent. And when he says that thing about you know working at cross purposes and he blows her away, it's like there's that aspect of, well, that droid's the only thing that can make or break her identity and what she's doing. I mean, it's the only one that, that can confirm that she is the rebel that she says she is. And so it's like, and he, he shoots that out. How convenient was that? I mean, there's all that angle of, was there more to this? Was there going to be a, a tank, you know, Subner, aspect to this character. Was she going to betray Leia? Was she doing all this to get close to Leia, to try to kill Leia? I mean, there were so many angles that I wasn't trusting this character that I was like, okay, was there more here that they just cut it out? I mean, because it definitely feels like this should have been part of a six or a four issue arc.
0: So, she escapes, and well, she escapes with a tracking device still on her, so it's not a real escape, and winds up at the place she intends to meet Leia, the place she just gave Leia in those, you know, coded messages and whatnot. Oaka Prime, a planet that for tens of thousands of years has been a wildlife preserve. Uh, the nascent Republic took steps to ensure the world's safety and status. Uh, life has thrived on the world with species that are rare and otherwise extinct. Children dream of stories and adventures set on the planet. Fantasy stories use it as its backdrop, et cetera, et cetera. But... Again, falling under the, I guess Brian Wood tried to do his homework type of moment, she says, Awaka Prime, I love this place even before I knew it actually existed for real. Good so far. Next balloon. So many children's Hollow novels were set in this mythical place. Not bad so far. Although, Hollow novel? I'm trying to figure out, you know, is it something that you watch? Is it something that you read? Is it just a bunch of text that appears in hologram form? Whatever. We've seen it before. But here's the thing. Way, way back during the Rakatan Empire, this world was designated as a wildlife sanctuary away from the wars with the Gris and the Qua. And I had to step back and say, wow! Impressive. He gets that way back in the early days, uh, even before the Republic, there was the Rakatan Infinite Empire, right? The one we saw hints of in the KOTOR games, and the ones that we wind up finding uh, are such a big part of Dawn of the Jedi that was being published around this same time. Ooh, he made a reference. And then I think a Rakatan wildlife preserve. Rakatans giving one tenth of a fk. You'll have to censor that one too. About wildlife. Somehow I don't see Rakatans visiting bush gardens. <laughs>
1: I hadn't even thought of that uh, that is actually that does make a lot of sense that it doesn't make sense in that regard because yeah they, they would typically go capture and enslave I mean to set one off to the side and there's a side story I'd like to know why why did you set that one planet off to the side wow I when, when I saw the ricottans were brought in and all that stuff I didn't think about the overall plots I was just like oh cool he, he's got a little tie in here That that's kind of working I'm digging that but again I get back to that you know Okay, so she's an agent, and she's put out the open code, come and get me, and then bails from the location. I was like, okay, wait, so now Leia's showing up to a trap that she doesn't know is a trap, and you're bailing from there to another place. Okay, so you send another transmission. I mean, at this point, like, if I was Leia, I don't think I'd be following her anymore. I'd just be sending transmissions going, why don't you meet me at this location? Of course, this is also that moment where she discovers that the the uh monitor's on the ship. Wait, what? What is it all for? That power drain? Where's it coming from? A what? A what? You mean that psycho droid has been tracking me? Overload of fright, get it off my ship! And that's, of course, when he does the... Too late, human. Tragically so. I'll drive that ugly ship to the surface and collect my prize. But first... I hate seeing a fellow droid working at cross purposes, which, of course, you know, that that again got me thinking, you know, is there this aspect to it that this is all a plot by the Empire? I mean, in that regard, it seems like it would be a smart bet. Granted, yeah, we did see something very similar in in uh, Rebellion in an Empire with, with Tank, with Luke. But again, this is Leia now uh and And I think you know, in that regard, this could have been a really cool opportunity to have this character be someone that was with the rebellion that eventually slipped and decided, you know what i'm gonna side with the empire and i'm gonna help go after these you know these these leaders of the rebellion that helped take down the death star i I don't know. I mean, there's this whole angle that I kept hoping that this girl was going to be a double agent and the way things were worded and stuff and and the way they were building up, well, we got to bring you back. You're going to get debriefed. You've been gone out too long. There was this whole level of distrust. And then you had this, that aspect of the droid, you know, shooting on the other droid and stuff. And the fact that she's drug out, she didn't wait. I don't know. There, there definitely seemed like there was this angle that they wanted you to think she was the double agent, whether they were going to work with it or not. But I, I truly think that they were going to go there but they just ran out of time.
0: That certainly would have fit with Brian Wood's whole Bercher thing. It seemed like one of the ongoing themes he kept using was this idea of, oh, there's there's a spy in our ranks. I mean, they never really did totally resolve the whole, you know, how is information leaking out of the rebellion back in the first story arc of this because Bercher being a rebel agent didn't entirely explain what was going on. Uh, right? I, I, I sort of could see them going... There with that, or the fact that perhaps they would lay the groundwork that that's a possibility, and then exonerate her. So that it seems like, you know, there's this suspicion, but instead of it actually being that she's a traitor, it's something that she goes through and it builds her as a character that we could see later. But this arc winds up being the last one, so we never get a chance to really see that happen. So, our heroes show up, IG-88 has shown up, because of the tracking device and whatnot, we get another space battle as basically the Falcon is trying to lead the IG-2000 away from Saren, because her Y-Wing, after R-4 is shot and destroyed by IG-88, the Y-Wing's not really going to be able to handle itself as well as the Falcon could. And as they're zipping through, it looks like IG-88's going to be able to nail them. No, why aren't our turret guns hitting him? Because, Luke, he's already done the math and found our angles of fire and is staying in the dead zones. I hate droids. And then Luke grabs the controls, closes his eyes, reaches out in the Force. Here, Luke. You hear Ben's voice, because apparently any time Luke needs help in the Force and is going to close his eyes and meditate, he's got to hear Ben's voice if it's a Brian Wood story. I can feel it, Ben. It's flowing through me. Ben? Ben Kenobi? At least this time the people in the cockpit didn't hear him say Luke. Presumably they heard Luke say Ben and thought, Ben Kenobi? Is that who you're talking to? And of course, you know, force X machina, so to speak, uh, Luke manages to not only get them out of the line of fire, but get a good angle on IG-2000 and blast it. Which leaves the ship in desperate need of repairs, apparently it will be, because we know he has it later in the continuity, and IG-88, or this IG-88, floating out in space. Luke has saved the day, just tapping into the force to win an unwinnable situation. Very, very neat and tidy. Again, if it wasn't something we'd hmm. seen plenty of times before, it wouldn't have felt very neat and tidy and generic. It would have probably felt thrilling. Instead, it feels very much like Wesley Crusher saves the day! <laughs> Again.
1: I, there are some things here. Uh, there's some banter between IG88 himself and Han. Uh, IG2000 to the Falcon. Solo. Are you there? Solo. No greeting from an old friend from his spice running days. We were never friends, Han says. I thought it was kind of funny that IG-88 brings up that. But then Luke, you know, Han, you want me to go to the gun turret? No need, kid. And then all of a sudden you see the top and the bottom turrets kind of shift into position. And then Han's like, Mod Mothma upgraded us. Fully automated. Slave to the sensor array. Hold on to your britches, everyone. And then, you know, the Falcon shooting on its own, which I remember when that happened, there was there was some people that were like, whoa, hey, you know, what automated turrets we didn't see that in any of the films you know uh so there was that moment of like okay well we we'll are changing a little things okay but when luke takes over and they do the luke thing you mentioned it to me i thought that was like i i almost dare say it's a continuity error within star wars volume 2 because what has made a precedent that other force users can hear ben kenobi talking to luke we heard prithy or whatever her name was she did it. Now, the question comes down to now is, is it only those that have certain levels of awareness with their Force sensitivity? Because Prithi was part of another group of Force users to a degree. Uh, I can't remember what the name of them were, but but they used the Force in a different way. So, you know, maybe it was her using of the Force or knowledge of the Force or her, her interactions with the Force that allowed her to be more in tune to that kind of stuff than, say, Leia is. But my thing is, is Luke and Leia are twins. Anything that Luke can do, Leia should do better, right? I mean, come on now. She didn't hear that? Prissy did? What the frack? What the frack? Oh, what is going on, Brian? What were you trying to do with the whole aspect of Ben Kenobi's Force Ghost? Uh, you know, we, we we had him talking in the last arc. Uh, when Luke was up on the mountain full of snow and none of those guys saw, okay, hey, they're not force sensitives. I get it. Leia's force sensitive. Or are you trying to impress that she's not? That's one of those things that, that I guess I'm glad this isn't new canon because with the story group, I would want them to have a tighter control on that of an, of an angle of a character, you know, is Leia going to be somebody that's going to be every bit as equal and opportunistic as Luke. Or is she just going to be the regular one? Is she the twin that didn't get the force? You know, is she like the DeVito to Arnold Schwarzenegger when it comes to force skills? I don't know. There's there's so much about that aspect about what Brian Woods laid down that I I just, I scratch my head.
0: Yeah. By Brian Woods' own rules that he's laid out, Leia should have been able to hear Ben saying Luke at that point. You know, that's all he says is Luke. Ben's been pretty talkative lately, especially with Luke and Vader. So, uh, Maybe this is when, you know, he had a call on the other Force line and was maybe taunting Vader around the same time. He's like, Luke, yeah, just do whatever. I'm going to go back to driving Anakin bonkers. Um, or perhaps, you know, there was a scene that we never really got where after Prithi heard Ben's voice, Luke and Obi-Wan's spirit had kind of a, a brief sitting down and decided that from now on they're not going to have their Force conversations on speakerphone.
1: <laughs> We need to level down, Kenobi. you start to carry across. People found out that I got a yeah. h*** for my sister.
0: So, as soon as Luke is able to zap IG-2000, basically the battle's over, and so is most of the plot. Saren takes her data and wipes the memory of the ship and everything, and sets it to self-destruct, puts on an EVA suit-type helmet, and is ready for
1: pickup. The EVA suit helmet, okay, was, this is an aspect of Star Wars physics that has always perplexed the hell out of me. Going back to, I think, even Air to the Empire, there's a scene where Luke jumps out of his uh, crippled X-Wing and, and jumps across into, I, I believe it was the wild card. It was it was one of the ships Mara Jade was flying. But he did it, and, and yeah, he had the X-Wing suit, so that one kind of little made more sense. But she's wearing regular-looking street clothes and just throws a helmet on and jumps across. Should not space be like making her explode or something without a pressure suit? That's one thing about Star Wars that I've never quite understood. You know, General Grievous, he's a droid. I get him going outside. That makes sense. But we've had multiple situations where we see people outside in space with their flesh exposed. And I'm like, wait, isn't that supposed to like flash freeze you or make your skin explode or something? What the? Yeah, Star Wars is supposed to put physics on hold. But for a moment here, if this was real, should she not survive that jump from ship to ship? Well, it's because she's known
0: across the galaxy by another more infamous name. Star-Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Guardians of the Galaxy reference there. Um, Yeah, that did seem a little bit odd, but I mean, you could figure that she's not going to be out there very long. Maybe there's some atmosphere contained within the ship somehow. Uh, maybe she's, I don't know, maybe they're in like low orbit, but that's just something that Star Wars has done frequently this idea i mean heck you even had one point i think it was because of of force fields or something or within a ship's shields that somehow han with wearing very little other than his regular street clothes is able i think it was to duel crimson jack back in the marvel series or something i mean they really haven't been too tight with that whole concept of the science of space through the sound in space really uh we get ourselves to a final scene aboard the millennium falcon in route back to the fleet. A quick conversation between Leia and Sarah, where she's talking about how, you know, I'll support you any way I can, but you're gonna have a long debriefing, because um, you've been undercover for such a long time, far longer than the mission called for it. And she lays out what it is that she found. She's like, she says, this is all that matters. Imperial Geological Surveys. Don't underestimate that data. The Empire sends dozens, hundreds of teams around the galaxy, evaluating worlds, collecting massive amounts of information, and based on that, assigns mining crews to some worlds, agro-droids to others, military garrisons, colonists, you name it. But the worlds of no practical use? They close the file on them. Lay ass. And never to return? At least not for a long time. The Alliance can use that data to find out where the Empire's been, where it's going, places to hide, where to insert advanced teams, and so on. It just looks like raw geological data, but if you read between the lines... And so on. And Leia decides she's going to present this to Mon Mothma before any kind of debriefing on Saren so that hopefully you know, it, it helps her in her case. And Saren talks about how her, the mission became her life. You know, once she found that she could get that, she let everything else go. Uh, and she's not sure what she's even returning to at this point now that others have essentially essentially moved on without her. Luke, who has been training with the lightsaber remote, and apparently if he's going to do that, he has to change clothes back into what he was wearing the first time he trained back during A New Hope, because it's the only time he's ever wearing that as opposed to something closer to his Empire clothing throughout the
1: story. He's like, Han, I gotta go change into my Jedi gear, I gotta go and practice. Yeah, your
0: Jedi gear is your I-was-out-fixing-moisture-evaporators gear. Whatever, Luke. Whatever. Um... But they talk about, again, bringing home this point of the deaths of so many people and the loss and how trying to find Saren was supposed to try to help make up for that and bring some healing. It says, you know, it seems like a lot of us who have lost families, worlds, even identities, we find a new home in the Alliance, especially after Alderaan, after Yavin. And Leia again, Leia and Saren talk a little bit more, not all that much. Saren was worried that Leia, being the princess, being the leader, was going to forget about her. She says, never, and no one calls me that, that is Princess Leia Organa, except the guy flying this ship, and then only to get under my skin. And we get another of these great Leia-Han moments that I think ends it with a smile on my face, but kind of a a bland ending for the series as a whole, where Saren asks, what's his story anyway? He seems sort of dashing. Leia answers, ha, in his own head maybe, but I suppose he does have his moments. And in the cockpit, Han has apparently been eavesdropping, says, I heard that. Did you hear that? I heard that. I have my moments. And Iris out. The series ends.
1: And that would have felt like a good ending had there been more between Han and Leia. I mean, I know when the overall series of Star Wars Volume 2 started, you know, Han seemed like a, a forgotten character all on his own. You know, so, I mean, it it almost ends like, again, there was more here between their relationship that was just left off screen or something. Uh, You know, there's so many aspects about this that that make me question. I mean, when Leia says, you know, I'm going to present this to Mon Mothman before your debriefing, I think it'll go a long way to getting your life back once again. And I'm thinking like, well, how convenient for her? Like, you know, if IG-88 was only sent out there to make it seem like this information is something that they're, you know, like, like. Think about Emperor Palpatine in Return of the Jedi. You know, he gave the Bothans the information on the battle station. This seems to make sense. Hmm, Let's see. We'll we'll let this girl have all this information, give it to them, and then we'll let her go back to the Empire or back to the rebellion and let her transmit where the rebels are going to go. I mean, what perfect way to put your agent inside the rebellion? I mean, that and I keep looking at it like that. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that. Maybe that's some brilliance of Brian Wood in action and that I'm just so irritated about so much other stuff. I can't see it for what it is, but I just think that there's gotta have been more to that story there that, that I don't know. I just don't trust this girl. I can't take her at face value that her and Leia were friends. Everything about her is fishy.
0: I can take it at face value. It's just generic storytelling to take it at face value. Um, I'll say though, that It definitely, again, going to the undermining phrases here, uh, it somewhat undermines Leia, I think, in a sense here. Because it's kind of the opposite of what's happening, I guess, in the current Princess Leia series from Marvel. Where one of her missions is she wants to find all the Alderanian refugees that are out there and bring as many of them home as humanly possible. Whereas here, she's trying to find a friend She wants to bring back to the Rebellion because she can't do anything really for Alderaan. Sort of a common thread there in a sense. But in that case, it's Leia – it's like everybody thinks that she's going to be so over-emotional about what happened to Alderaan that she won't be able to do her duties and needs time to grieve. And she takes it upon herself to show that she isn't blinded by her emotions in many respects. She's still going to lead, still going to serve her people, serve the Rebellion, etc., etc. She still has responsibilities. Here it's the opposite. Because she is so blinded by the grief of all these people that they've lost, she is so willing to take Saren at her word that she's basically going to, it seems like, she's doing everything possible to bypass the proper procedures for dealing with a situation like this. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen you in over a decade. You were gone for a while as an agent. I didn't even know you were an agent. You had this very convenient data. We just saved you. You may be telling the absolute truth. But we need to be sure. But there's none of that we need to be sure coming from Leia. Uh, It just, it's not working. It reminds me, um, in a sense, of Homeland. Have you ever seen the show Homeland? Where Brody is basically a prisoner of war who is eventually released back to the U.S., And the media plays it up as if he is a massive hero, and we find out later that, no, not so much. Um, But at least in that sense, there is suspicion of him at first. But the family welcomes him back with open arms and such and isn't suspicious, even though things have changed for them in the interim, because, wow, he's back. It's that overjoy of the moment of reunion clouding out the possibility of something more sinister. And that's kind of what Leia's doing here. But I always would have given Leia more credit than to be like that. That Leia would be the one being all kind of cautious, like, I'm glad you're back, I'm so happy you're here, but we need to do some double-checking. Again, Mm -hmm. to make another reference here, if anybody out there watches Sleepy Hollow, the way they dealt with Captain Irving recently, a character who seems to have come back from the dead and not being sure whether they can trust him or not, uh, going through all these ways of trying to verify, is he really him? Is he under demonic control or whatever? They're so happy to see him back again, but their caution and all the times they've been betrayed have caused them to be very kind of keeping him at arm's length until they can verify what they think is true about the character, which even then doesn't necessarily mean that it is true. It's just verifying what they think is true that they're looking for. Uh, It seems as though Leia here has lost all pretense of being a rebel leader. It's, it's an old friend of mine. I've got to save her. I'm so glad you're back. I'll smooth everything out and grease the wheels to make sure you're A-OK. We're not checking the data. We're not checking out her story. She's just kind of there. I would love to think that it really was supposed to be part of a broader storyline Like you're saying, that there should have been more to this coming. Unfortunately, we'll never know. And this really feels like a generic story otherwise, without that extra depth to it. But either way, whether it was going to be a case of mistaking her for a spy, or her being a spy, or simply left as it stands and this was all there was supposed to be to it, it really makes Leia seem like a weak version of the character. And this series it's been like that. Leia is either weak or she's the absolute badass ace starfighter pilot. She's back and forth and back mm-hmm. and forth. Uh, and here she's back to the weak side again.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think all around this this series feels like it flips and flops. It feels like it's a fish out of water. Uh, you know, yeah, it's got all the great trappings of Star Wars. And if you're a casual reader, and this is the only thing of Star Wars that you've ever read, you would enjoy it. Uh, but if you've been around the block a few times, there are going to be things on this that, that are going to stop you. There are going to be things about this that are going to grate on you. And then if you're really kind of following any kind of continuity at all, there are going to be spots where you stop and scratching your head. And I think that those things are what really hurts this overall. Yeah, the art... Uh, The art is is great when it comes to interiors of ships, the exteriors of ships, space battles, things of that nature. Uh, Most of the characters look enough like themselves when it comes to their bodies. Their faces not always that's not even really a bad thing. I mean, like, you know, Leia doesn't always look like Leia, but that doesn't mean that the character is not beautifully drawn. Uh, you know I mean? There's great imagery of the character, but she doesn't really come across as the Leia. I always think about, but that again, you know, fandom's a huge fandom. So, I mean, I I can accept that for what it is. It's the little things like, you know, ending this here with the ending of Han and them. I mean, when I think about five days of Sith ending and I think about this one's ending, or when I go back to, uh, Thirteen and fourteen, and the way those ones ended at the end of Rebel Girl, you know, those felt like a more satisfactory conclusion to this series run than number twenty. You know, when I look at number twenty as an issue, as a standalone issue in the series, that is one of the crappiest endings to a run since Rebellion and Invasion.
0: Didn't this feel like the end? And I didn't hit me until you were really talking about there. But doesn't the ending of this two-issue arc? feel like the ending of a lot of episodes of the clone wars. where just kind of yeah. abruptly just kind of ends with a quick quip or something and Iris out. And you're like, Oh, the half hour's over.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But at least with that, you're like, okay, well what, what's coming next week? Kind of thing. I mean, yeah, it definitely, that's exactly how I felt. Like, like we were part of like a, a three or four arc kind of thing. Like, you know, it's setting up its piece, but then I'm like, wait, the end, like, no, you you can't end it there. There's a debriefing. There's, like, what was the, there were so many aspects of it. I mean, yeah, this series was all about them finding a base. And yeah, this also played into it. Han's mission doing what he was doing. They found the shield generators, all these steps towards it, but they never got to that final goal. And and I don't know if that was was a mission that Brian had going out and they just, again, ran out of time. That, that And that's what I have to attribute it to. I just have to attribute it to, you know, bigger balls were in motion and the story that Brian was hoping to tell got neutered halfway through.
0: Okay. <laughs> I gotta ask. <laughs> you just said bigger balls were in motion and <laughs> then said it got neutered. Was that on purpose?
1: <laughs> uh, I I wish I could say it had a Van Wilder purposeness to it, but it, it was totally random. I'm an idiot savant.
0: <laughs> no need to get testy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> no, I think that I mean, overall, big picture of Brian Wood's 20 issue run here, it, we've said it before, it could have been good as the beginning of a new canon because it wouldn't have been an issue when it clashed with previously existing continuity, like where Rogue Squadron came from and something like that. Uh, the Executor already being active at this point. How soon it seems that they left Yavin 4, which is interesting because. Now we know, thanks to the Princess Leia comic, that in the new canon they did leave Yavin 4 virtually immediately instead of six months later as in Legends, which would have fit perfectly with this.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's the smart move, really. I mean, get the hell out of there. The Empire knows where you're at.
0: Well, of course, in the original continuity, there was this idea of a blockade and all this kind of stuff initially. But you got essentially a story here that clashed with what came before, so that was working against it. They hyped the living hell out of it initially there was no way it was ever going to live up to the hype. It really didn't live up to many of the other stories being produced around it. It's one of the weaker Star Wars series to be produced in the last few years, and that's saying something, because we've had stuff like Rebel Heist produced in the last few years. The art was great when it was DeAnda. Other times, not so much, depending on which story we're looking at. Five Days of Sith was pretty good. We had some really bizarrely drawn characters at certain points. It's just one of these things that was a an unfulfilled promise. This was going to be the big, awesome new Star Wars series, and it didn't play out like that. Was he building up to something greater later? We can hope so, but we'll never know. These stories need to be able to stand on their own without needing to necessarily play out later for them to be enjoyable in and of themselves. Very much like when we're talking about Rebels on Rebels Roundtable. You know, fight or flight felt like a filler episode. Kind of a dull episode. Not one of my favorite episodes. Yes, the TIE Fighter shows up again in the season finale, Fire Across the Galaxy, but in and of itself, that doesn't necessarily mean that Fight or Flight was a totally worthwhile episode. It just means something in it was seeded for later. Um, so, judging it by what we actually got, it felt really, really generic and lackluster. I Five Days of Sith felt like it was from a completely different series. It was daring, it did some new things with what is a somewhat common theme of Imperials realizing how bad Vader actually is, but did it in such a way that it was entertaining, thought-provoking. It felt like it could have been from the pages, say, of Empire, when Empire really hit its stride. It could have been old Marvel stuff. It just it didn't feel like it really had much of a place, and it felt like it was retreading just this really Dull, generic stuff. Oh, let's have Leia get interested in the possibility of marriage for a political alliance. But don't worry, it's not going to work out because we know that she winds up with Han later. Oh, let's have a friend of Leia's or one of the characters in trouble. They have to go save them because they're an agent of the alliance or have something useful to the alliance, which gives them the excuse to go save them. Oh no, there's an imperial spy we need to hunt down. Who is it? And then a twist that doesn't really resolve anything. Um, oh, look, Leia is really broken up over the loss of Alderaan. Now she's totally fine. Now she's the Ice Queen. Now she's broken up. Now she's the Ice Queen. Back and forth. And don't forget, <laughs> let's have Luke be a little bit whiny because he wants to be with Leia and can't be. And Han being a smart aleck because he wants to be with her too, and that's the way that he flirts. Every step of the way. Generic. Were it not for the continuity issues, I would say that it's a series that is just kind of there. Not a bad read, but not a good read outside of Five Days of Sith, which I do think was a good read. But you throw in the continuity issues, the sometimes poor artwork, and these weird creative choices like all of a sudden people can hear Ben Kenobi's voice and all of a sudden IG-88 needs to freaking monologue to himself aboard the ship. And it becomes a series that I would say, don't bother with. Find yourself some pin-ups of the cool Carlos de Anda artwork. But don't bother with Star Wars Volume 2. It does not live up to the hype. If anything, it's the opposite. It undercuts the hype, honestly, in a way that The Phantom Menace did. This is The Phantom Menace of Star Wars comic hype. And it failed, in a sense, to meet the hype just as badly. It will have its fans... It's people going, woohoo! You know, Darth Maul's awesome! Double-bladed lightsaber! Cool through a lightsaber battle! Woohoo! Forget the Yippies and the Jar Jar! Phantom Menace is awesome! There are people who are going, Brian Wood is awesome! Carlos Andas artwork is so great! Ooh, Brian Wood in Star Wars! It's a dream come true! But... You take off those rose-colored glasses for those for whom this series was never going to be able to do wrong, like the Phantom Menace to some of the Super Phantom Menace fans, and you find something here that is broken. And the hype train pretty much ran over it, making the problem worse.
1: You know, I, I, I kind of think about my son, you know, like Brian Wood in this case is my boy. And he's come down into my studio, and he sees the shelf porn behind me full of opened action figures. And he's grabbing Anakin from Gendy's Clone Wars. He's grabbing Ben Kenobi from uh, one of the saga lines where he's got the armor on. I mean, he's just grabbing all these different characters from all these different lines that don't quite line up. And he's playing with them all. And you know, he's only 10. And so he forgets about some of the plots as he's going. And he's been playing for two hours over here. And, you know, some of the things that he like, like the fact that he had uh Ben Kenobi being hurt by Percy. He totally forgot about that plot point by the time he got to the end of the second hour, you know, those kind of things. And that's what I felt like all the way around when this was over was like, yeah, it had all the star Wars trappings. And yeah, if this was its own new canon, it might've been good. I and, and I'm, I'm saying might loosely because I I and that's where I'm at. Like, OK, as legend stands, like technically this trumps everything that it came before in the legends universe that it conflicted with. And yet this is a work where I'm like, I'm OK with saying, you know, we could just forget this one all together. Pretend it's like the Star Wars and just read it as like a, as as a I don't know, a, a study in what the hell happened at the end of dark horse's life? Because there were so many weird things that they chose to do. And this one, and the way they marketed it, the way they actually said, you know, I mean, I, they didn't flat out quote unquote say to hell with continuity, but it was pretty damn close. And I remember when they said their statements on continuity, it had many fans reeling back going, wait, what? Why would you say that? And Then when we see what we get inside the covers, their statement made even more sense, but it made you scratch your head as to why you would take that approach this late in the continuity game of what became Legends. Uh, You know, that one is just always going to perplex me. And it's also why I would never recommend this one, except for as a case with the Star Wars as a character study of what could have been or what might have been.
0: Well, remember, even I mean, as this was going on, as a series was being released, I was tending to, from time to time, correspond with Leland Chi via email. And there came a point where I was asking questions about this series like, the executor is there? What, two months later? What? And some of the stuff that came up during those first handful of issues, and he's like, you know, I really can't answer right now, really can't answer right now, and it sort of became a, well, this is a series I can't really answer a lot of questions about and so forth, until finally... The door sort of slams shut overall where we find out that they've been told that unless they go through the PR department or whatever, they can't really answer questions at all about stuff like this to fans anymore. And that just sort of shuts down everything. And it strikes me that even before that happened, there really was no set of answers coming about this series beyond – where does it take place? Is it supposed to take place uh, in relation to Vader's quest and finding out the Skywalker name and so forth? But for the most part, no answers were forthcoming. It makes me wonder if there just weren't any answers to be had. If this series and the way it was approached, you know, giving him sort of free reign to ignore certain things and just do whatever, and yet turns out it wound up being legends, not a new continuity, if there comes a point where Leland Chi or anyone behind the scenes Basically just threw up their hands and just said, F*** it, man. F*** it. And just let it go. And let it be its own thing. Basically deciding that they're not going to fix it. Screw it. It's like um, if you have just bought a brand new cell phone and you got a little kid and you're not going to do anything with your old cell phone once it's completely turned off. It's not like it's being billed or anything. It's not like it's going to call anybody or anything. You just hand the old cell phone to the kid and let him play with it.
1: F*** it. Alright, now before we wrap it up, we're going to go over the covers, and one thing I wanted to mention too is, you know, we're covering issues 19 and 20 of The Trade, Volume 4, of Shattered Hope. Now, in The Trade, we have issues 13 and 14, which are Part 1 and Part 2 of 5 Days of Sith. We have 19 and 20 here, and we also have The Art of... The Bad Deal, which was a free comic book day comic. We're not going to cover that today uh, in one of our next episodes. It could be the next one. It could be one of the few after that. We're going to do a, a run of the uh, current, well, up to this point, up coming up to May 2015. We won't have that one. But everything before that, the free comic book days, we'll do a show just on those. Uh, but the covers for this, uh, we go back to cover number 13. Uh, you know, we won't really go over those covers because we covered those in the last episode. But this issue... Number 13 was the one that they used for the trade paperback cover itself, and it is just called A Shattered Hope, which is an interesting title in and of itself, considering you've got five days of Sith, and they never actually named these two, which I must assume have to be A Shattered Hope then, Uh, and then when you get to issue 19, it's got four against the galaxy, and it's got a really cool uh, side shot of the Falcon, and then it's got the four, you know, the big three plus Chewie all together doing their classic poses with Luke having a really weird kind of duh look on his face and Han going, uh, what are you doing with his hand? Like, I don't know. The posing and stuff, the art, I'm not a fan of that cover as much. Uh, 20 though, I, I kind of like that one more. It's got kind of one of those, uh, classic swept brush painted to the uh, movie poster feel for the prequels of Episode 1 kind of thing. Uh, it's got the Falcon flying away in a nebula. You got Luke and and all them doing their things. Han's got this kind of smirk that I can enjoy. You got 3PO and R2 and it's a bright center to the universe. But th- they're definitely ones that, that don't really feel like they fit with the story, which I guess is fitting for the end of this because it, it's one of those that the further we got, the more I head shook and the more I was okay with walking away. Yeah, these two, I mean, again,
0: Absolutely generic. What about these covers has the slightest thing to do with the story on the inside? And it's not even just the art, it's the art and the little taglines that they add. At least, usually, even if the art isn't quite there, the taglines are. This reminds me of what I'm reading actually right now. I'm reading through all of Spawn. I was a big fan of Spawn until about issue number 80 or 90 or so, and then I stopped reading years ago. And they just released the entire 250 plus issue line on comicsology, So I'm reading through Spawn bit by bit. And it gets to a point where all the covers are just a, a pose of Spawn doing something that has absolutely nothing to do with the story on the inside most of the time. Probably nine times out of ten, the cover is no reflection of the story at all. And that's basically what we've got here. Again, it looks like they had pin-up artwork by Hugh Fleming they wanted to use somewhere, realized, uh-oh, we don't have any more issues that we can use it on, We'll just slap them on here so we don't have to commission new cover art to go with these issues. Uh, that being said, the one for 19, it's decent enough. Again, Luke does kind of have that shocked, kind of dirt look on his face, and Leia's pose is a little odd, and they're really bunched together that well. I'm not sure how pulling your blast is, is going to help, because you're going to be bumping into each other as you're trying to shoot stuff, but whatever. It makes for a decent, quick little pose pinup type shot. For Against the Galaxy, I can appreciate the tagline because I think that unless he's just accidentally using a common phrase or a familiar phrase, I think he's making a reference all the way back to the second issue of the original Marvel series, Six Against the Galaxy, as part of the A New Hope adaptation. So I saw that, and I was kind of smiling at that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But at the same time, what does that have to do with anything in the story? Four Against the Galaxy, IG-88 is the galaxy. (laughs) <laughs> man. man, no wonder there's got to be an A, B, C, and D version of him if he's the frickin' galaxy. Uh, I don't know, Just the tagline's a, a cool nostalgic reference but makes no sense in relation to the story. I do really like the cover to 20 as like a poster. But again, it's very generic in relation to the story on the inside. Doesn't seem to have any relation at all. In fact, c 3 P and R2-D2 were shown on the cover. They're not even in either issue of this. But Luke and Leia and Han and Chewie are, and so is the Millennium Falcon, so I guess that kind of works.
1: Holy crap, that reminds me. There is actually one reference to 3 3PO in the comic, which screamed error to me. And it's it's when they were doing the calculations for the coordinates, Leia's talking about how 3PO's doing them up. I'm like, why would you have Three 3PO do it? Why not R2? Uh, sorry, man, I, just, I had to throw that in there. I totally spaced that. That is true.
0: That is true. It would make more sense for the astromech to do the astro-navigation. But it's got this tagline on issue number 20. A bright center to the universe. Again, what does that have anything to do with the story? Is Saren supposed to be the bright center of the universe because she's bringing hope to them? But then again, the title of this arc apparently was A Shattered Hope. And that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense either. They had A Shattered Hope, but the whole point of finding Saren is trying to make things better with that shattered hope, and so forth. Um, so two covers that have decent artwork. I particularly like the cover to number 20, but the taglines make no sense, and the covers reflect nothing of what is on the inside. Extremely, extremely, like so much of the story, generic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> pretend <laughs> now that about wraps up this episode of star wars beyond the films we'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom remember you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the star wars report website second airborne division at www.starwarsreport.com episodes are also available on zoom stitcher and on itunes which we always encourage you to leave us a nice positive review while you're at it you can find links to our episodes on both our twitter and our facebook pages at SW. Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU slash Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at Films at Star Wars fanworks Com. And speaking of past episodes, you can find them all at www.starwarsreport.com slash beyondthefilms. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles you can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe, now titled Legends, or any other genre, or those canon books, without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate, because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this is Ben, Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Sing. thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And
0: don't quote us the odds. The Brian Wood lovers out there are going to turn around and blast us for this episode.
1: Or that Lucasfilm will ever use the, ah, to hell with continuity approach to their advertising and storytelling again. I actually had one (laughs) pre-written. What are the odds of that? Nice. Or that Mark will miss
0: one of the In this episode, people get offended.
1: It'll probably be that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That'd be hilarious, wouldn't
1: it? Hey, but enough about you. Enough about you. Enough about you.
0: Let's talk about
1: me. Yes, it's, it's all about me. It's and it's gonna be about Nathan here in a minute. But we'll get to that. Are hanging out with Leia it doesn't really seem much like Luke and Leia are doing it, uh, but it, you know, and and those I mean, are minor. Luke and Han. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't
0: if it does, I know it doesn't seem like Luke and Leia are doing it, and that would be gross. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Luke and Han doing it isn't hanging out. Yes. The way that we look at the series on well, where could he have gone with it? Because, and there goes my messenger thing going off. You got mail. Yeah. But the rebels. Damn it so f***ing tired of all i've got so many freaking devices in here now thanks to work <laughs> that they're going off like freaking mad my dining room table looks like nasa now uh,
1: <laughs> you got a
0: tardis two enormous monitors a dock a bamboo you know pad that i'm never going to use etc etc um let's try that again and you know we have a couple of moments you know with leia and luke a bit and whatnot god damn it I need to figure out which one is going off. There are so damn many of them. I do not <laughs> know which one is going off. God, f- <laughs> It's
1: that one! It's that Where, one right it? there. <laughs> Marco. Okay. Is it this one?
0: <laughs> oh, no. Hello. Is it the iPhone? Is it the iPad? Is it the work iPad? Is it... God, mother f- Okay. <laughs> um... uh, 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 uh. uh, uh. Uh, where was, uh... I got you.
1: Having a moment got in it. Han's little sweaty room. Yeah.
0: For all his comments, Leia continues, to me, there's really only room in it... For all his comments, to me, Leia continues, there... there's... There's really only room for one in his heart. This ship.
1: Just barely got off her shit list.
0: <laughs> You're gonna have to. You, you bleep yourself. <laughs> That's okay, when we get to IG 88, you're gonna have to bleep me several times. <laughs> I'm telling you now. This is IG 88. IG 88 is a droid. I keep, as I'm reading this, anytime we see IG 88 talking, I'm thinking, why is he talking to himself? Shut the f up! You're a <laughs> droid! One of the things that made IG-88 so awesome back in, for instance, the Tales from the Bounty Hunter book, is he is quiet. He is silent and calculating, because he's a droid! Why does a droid need to f***ing talk to himself and do it in such an inane manner? Brian Wood completely undercuts IG-88 as a villain here by making him basically a mustache-twirling, talking-to-himself idiot... When he's supposed to be a killer assassin droid. Why the f*** is he talking to himself?
1: Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, in a lot of ways, this series... Oh, you're unmuted. Flip stuff.
0: Oh, sh My bad. I thought I was muted. (laughs) That was (laughs) me grabbing a cookie. You flipped with vigorous...
1: Oh, cookie. Oreo? Give me that cookie. Are you Chips Ahoy or Oreo?
0: Um, I actually found a place that still sells the iced animal cookies.
1: Oh,
0: was good. Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. But the rest of this series, it might as well be old Marvel stuff. And there's the cat meowing. (laughs) And the cat's like, like, no.
1: Old Marvel stuff. (laughs) Let
0: me say that again. Even though it does have, and the cat's running around like a madman now, you can hear him going
1: No, I behind don't Behind the scenes.
0: <laughs> It's people going Woohoo! You know, Darth Maul's awesome Double-bladed lightsaber Cool three-way space battle Wait, not space But And again, the cat's meowing Stop The downside of having to be In the fucking living room To do this I was tending to From time to time Correspond with Leland Chi via email Asking questions about Continuity stuff and the cat goes running through the blinds, so now the blinds are all clacking the b- together. I'm going to beat his That's what's going to happen. He's running around like he's on crack. Oh yeah, corresponding to and You're going to have a whole lot of bleeping in this episode. I can't wait to see you miss one and have people you. B-
1: <laughs> I almost did the other day. It was like you and I were both talking at the same time, and I said, "Oh sh," <laughs> and I was like, "I gotta get it out of there." And I'm like, "Nathan's saying something, <laughs> dude, <laughs> I'm like, dude." i like, "Dude, I don't even want to hear
0: about offending people or not, though." You left in the five more minutes, choking the outtakes last
1: time, so I know. I was like, I, "Well, at least I moved it to the blooper end because at first, like." I'm like, I'm like, I can't believe we ended the show like that. And then, like, it keeps going. And then we get back to ending. And I'm like, oh, oh okay, okay. I can move that to the bloopers. Because I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to leave that in. Because we just wrap with that. Yep.
0: <laughs> like, and that, that's totally apropos here. It's Brian Wood saying, I get to write for Star Wars? Five more minutes. Five more minutes. Anyway, yeah, exactly. Uh, covers, um. perhaps.
1: But as far as the covers go, they really make no sense whatsoever as to the story or anything like that. So you're unmuted. Oh, son of a bitch. I did it again.
0: (laughs) Damn it. I'm doing (laughs) this. I must be hitting it to mute and clicking twice. So it mutes and then immediately unmutes.
1: It must have been. That's okay. Not only can you post a mustache in my nose, making me feel like I got pepper snort going on sneeze <laughs> pepper snort I need to coin that
0: pepper snort that's a, a drug that uh, Tony Stark uses
1: <laughs> or <a> sexual position
0: <laughs> oh oh but then what is going in his nose oh
1: <sighs> so if you have any Star Wars and or EU slash legends questions or you just want to pop pasta pop a pa- poo. boo or you just want up... F***ing A. I gotta make this bigger. I shrunk it. Riley's show notes are much, much more worded, so I had to shrink it the other day, and now mine are all sitting wrong. I'm like, this isn't reading right. What is Again, wrong with this my
0: is audience? why you should pre-record this
1: Yes. Could you imagine doing this live? Now, lastly... Big up. I'm just glad this is happening to me at the very end and, and not at the beginning all That's all right.
0: I was doing it every time I tried to quote anything
1: this is true alright I blame the stash
0: that's alright that's alright again the pepper snorts <laughs> once a month it comes in
1: oh <laughs> 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 extra iron iron man <laughs>